So over the past few weeks, we've searched the scriptures for a further understanding of what Peter's warning us about in Peter chapter 2, uh, where Peter warns God's people about false teachers, but he promises that the destruction will come to these pretenders, and he also promises that God would keep his people and rescue them, those that are righteous, through all the storms. And last week, Pastor Ezra preached on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because the wickedness of the people of the city, the Lord rained down fire and sulfur from heaven and burned up Sodom and Gomorrah, but through God's grace and mercy and through his angels, he delivered Lot and his family out of the flames and into a new place. Uh, today, we're going to look at a different picture of falsehood and wickedness in one man, a snapshot in the life of a mercenary prophet, a soothsayer for hire, a prophet for profit, and his name is Balaam. Let us pray. God, we just thank you right now. God, we thank you. We give you glory, God. We ask you, O oh Lord, that you would just be in the midst right now, O oh God. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit, O oh Lord. Let us feel your presence, O oh God. And let your word go forth, God, with, with pure gold, God, that not be adulterated in any way, God, that people would hear what thus saith the Lord, God, that your word would fall on fertile soil, O oh God, that you would pierce our hearts like never before, O oh God, that we would come out changed from this day, God. We thank you right now, God, for a word from you, O oh Lord. I ask you to move your manservant aside, O oh God, that you would speak only what, I would speak only what you would want me to speak, O oh God, and have your way in my soul. Use me for your glory, God, and hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' mighty name we say amen. Amen. So I'm going to start first with a little section of first, uh, uh, Second Peter, starting with picking up at verse 12 through 16. Uh, because we've covered the first 12 verses throughout the past few weeks, I'm going to start with verse 12. And it, it says, but these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming among matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their, of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to re revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deception while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice and steady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke through human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Today's sermon is titled, The Spirit of Balaam. The full story of Balaam can be found in Numbers 22 through 24. But today, for the sake of time, I'm going to zero in on Numbers 22. Today, we're going to look at Balaam's manipulation, his motivation, and his ultimate devastation. Let us read Numbers 22, starting with verse 1 through 6. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the, in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan of Jericho. And Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because there were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Behor at Pithor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amar, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now and curse this for me. 
Coke cursed his people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. So just as a little background, the Israelites had just defeated the Amorites because the Amorites had refused to let them pass through the land at their request. And the land that the Israelites took was the same lands that the Amorites had stole and took from the Moabites in the battle. So the Moabites had reason to be fearful. If the Israelites had defeated, defeated the Amorites, then surely they could defeat us. Fear had set in and a sense of hopelessness had set in. But you see, fear is a trick of the adversary. It's an old trick of the adversary, and he continues to use it every day. The enemy wanted nothing more than to have the people of Israel destroyed. So he put fear in the hearts of the Moabs. But the truth was, if Balak had looked a little closer, if he had searched the scriptures, if he knew what God had said to Moses in Deuteronomy 2.9, he would have known it said, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given you Ar to the people of Lot for possession. You see, church, the Moabs were descendants of Lot. God had already said to Moses, don't mess with them. I made a promise, and you cannot have their land. See, the fact is that Moab was scared for no reason at all. You see, when you, when you don't know what God's protection is around you, that's when you're fearful. When you don't know that he has a plan for you, that's when you're fearful. When you don't know that God has hope for you, that's when you're fearful. But when God's hand is on you, as he is for our children, as he is for the sons and daughters of God, we have nothing to fear because we are part of the holy family of God and his protection is on us. And therefore we know in our hearts through the word that no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. So looking at the text, Balak sent his messengers to Balaam to come and curse the Israelites. Balaam was well known at the time for the fulfillment of his prophecy and what he spoke always came to pass. He was no local soothsayer either. In fact, by those standards at that time, he was probably international because he lived some four or 500 miles from where Balak was. So the name of Balaam had went forth, knowing that he was a true soothsayer, a true prophesier. He had made quite the name for himself, and he was resting in his laurels. Looking at verse 7 through 14, it says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight. I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, and God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, have sent to me, saying, behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I should be able to fight, them, fight against them and drive them out. But God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam has refused to come with us. So in response to the request from Balak, 
Balaam sought the Lord for an answer. Balaam spoke to God. He spoke to the God Yahweh. He spoke to the Almighty God. He spoke to the God of Israel. But yet Balaam was not one of God's chosen people. But you see, God in his sovereignty chose to speak to Balaam about this request from the Moabite. Some may find it strange that a holy God would lend an ear to one that dabbles in magic and sorcery. But is this any different than when the Holy Spirit came upon us and called us by name? When we were yet still in our sin, still searching for the truth, when the Holy Spirit called us out of darkness, is this any different than when God come to us and said, I want you to be part of me? You see, God is no respecter of person. And I thank God that he did not wait for me to get cleaned up. He did not wait for me to get washed up. He did not wait for me to become perfect before he heard my cries and answered my prayers. So God told Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam said to the messengers, go to your land for the Lord the Lord has refused to let me go with you. You see, these are the words of a master manipulator. They are very subtle and never direct, always with ulterior motive. The Lord won't let me go. In other words, the other translation is, I want to go, but, but I really can't. The Lord won't let me go. I, if it was up to me, I'd pack my bags and I'd go along with you, but you know, the Lord won't let me do it. You see, Balaam, Balaam had spoke with God, but he did not have the heart of God. His relationship with God was one of, give me the answer I want versus give me the answer that I need. His response to the messengers even omitted the reason why God said no. By omission, he is saying, I don't know why. I don't know why God said not to go, but I can't explain why God said not to go. But Balaam knew exactly why. Because this was God's chosen people, never to be cursed, always to be blessed. But Balaam left the door open for more conversation with the enemy. Sometimes we just have to shut the door on the temptations of the enemies of God. Balaam should have said, no, I don't want to go because God doesn't want me to go. I don't want to go because that's what he has best for me. Not leaving room for more temptation, more conversation. Balaam should have spoken the exact words of God as his messenger. You shall not curse them because I have blessed them. Then the message back to Balaam would have been quite different. For Balaam just to say, God refused to let me go, leaves the opportunity for the enemy to continue to question why he should be loyal to God. God had already made his reasoning clear whether we liked the answer or not. Balaam was manipulating his response to allow for his own will to be done. Manipulation by omission, a half-truth. This is not uncommon today in some of our churches. 
Some churches only preach the parts of the Bible that agree with the flesh or their choice of doctrine or the parts that they feel most comfortable with. Some say it's okay to have more than one wife because it's in the law in the Old Testament. Some say that not, have, not living a prosperous life means there's something wrong with your Christian walk because God said he came to make us prosperous. Some say homosexuality is okay because the law has been removed, so the rules of the Old Testament don't apply anymore. Some believe in physically beating their bodies in hopes of bringing their flesh into submission. Some teach that if there's illness, then there must be sin because disease is from the enemy. Any of these things may sound good to the ear and feel good to the flesh, but they are but half-truths, omissions of the full word of God, the word of manipulated to fit into our own desires and watered down not to offend people. Balaam didn't want to shut the door because his heart was not pure. So the message the messengers left with about Balaam was Balaam wants to come even though he's refusing right now. So what does the tempter do in that situation when we don't slam the door hard on the enemy? He ups the ante. And that's exactly what Balak did. Looking at verse 15 through 21, once again Balak sent princes sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus said Balak, son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam that night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled a donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Now Balak's appeal to Balaam's pride and his greed. Let me send my princesses to him. I know where he's weak. I will give him great honor and glory and anything else he asks for. Don't let anything hinder you, he tells Balaam. He didn't even mention God because God was not part of the equation. Balaam, think of the honor and the riches that I'll bestow on you. Balak understood perfectly what motivations lied in the heart of Balaam just as the enemy knows what's in our hearts and how to use it against us. Balaam confirms what's in, a, in his heart when the first thing out of his mouth, the first words he says is, even if you give me a house full of silver and gold. You see, internally, Balaam was thinking about the money. On the surface, it looks like Balaam is a God-fearing prophet. Let me see what the Lord has to say. He pretends to want direction from God, but in his thoughts are on the reward that he might receive. So Balaam seeks God, hoping for a different response. What part of verse 12 did Balaam not get when God already said, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people that I have blessed. God knew Balaam's heart and his desire for honor and money. So God said, if the men have come to you, go, but only do what I tell you. You see, God gave Balaam permission to go, but not necessarily his approval to go.
Often when we insist on having our way with God, God will allow us to go contrary to his will. That is the freedom that we have in this Christian walk. Often, sometimes when we insist on having a way, God will let us make the bad choice. The question is, do we abide by the word to please God, or do we give in to our own desires? The question we must ask ourselves is, what is our motivation? What is the thing that drives us to want to be on our own, to want to have our own control, when God's word is clear on the matter? You shall not go. You see, for Balaam, it was the love of money, his greed, and the need for being elevated, his pride. For some, it may be the appetite for drugs or alcohol. For others, it may be the desire to fulfill the lust of the flesh. For some, it might be jealousy or envy, envy that blocks you from doing what God has instructed you to do. The question is, what place has God forbidden us to go? What thing has God forbidden us to do? Yes, God gives us free will, but we have to recognize that permission does not always translate into God's approval. Grace does not eliminate the consequences of our poor decisions. God's good, the good news is that God already knows our hearts just like he did Balaam's heart. So he won't be surprised when we lay our hearts before him and ask to be transformed. David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me, O Lord. So whatever heart motivations are buried in there that are contrary to God's desire, Jesus can take care of it. Jesus can fill every void. Jesus can remove every stain. And Jesus can replace every idol in our hearts. We just have to give it to him. So Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his donkey and went to the princes of Moab, looking at verses 22 through 30. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary, now he was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were there. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey, turned her head into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in an hour place where there was no way to turn to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. And I wish I had a sword in my hand, for I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. You see, even though God gave Balaam permission, God was angry because Balaam's love for money overruled God's direct commandment. Permission did not mean approval. And Balaam was about to face serious consequences. The angel of the Lord was there to kill Balaam for his disobedience. The sword was drawn and Balaam's death was imminent. But the donkey stepped in and interceded three times on Balaam's behalf. Balaam was angry that he wasn't even, so angry that he wasn't even phased that the donkey was speaking to him. Here was a man that spoke with God, boasted of his prophetic visions, 
but was blinded by his ambitions in his heart and the embarrassment he was experiencing. His faithful donkey was protecting him from that which he could not see. Balaam's response was to beat him. Balaam had one thing on his mind, and that was, I want to get paid. But God, in his grace and his mercy, allowed the dumb donkey to see the angel of the Lord that protected the all-seeing but still blind prophet. How often might we find ourselves headed towards a path of destruction, blinded by our own desires, when someone or something intervenes to protect us. They may not slam us against the wall or drive us off a road, but it may be a subtle rebuke or admonishment or an unexpected nudge of disapproval, or it might be a full body slam. It's our first reaction to respond in rage and anger, lashing out with disdain at those who might be trying to save our lives. Not saying to ourselves, wow, this is unusual behavior. Maybe I need to rethink the way I'm headed. You see, pride is an ugly thing. And not many of us can accept being called out. But that's what God would expect us to do. If you love me, why would you let me go down a path of destruction? Is the beating that we might face worth saving a brother or sister in Christ from destruction? Pride had its deep roots in me. For generations of men in my family wore it like a badge of honor. Criticism, constructive or not, was never accepted. So even in my marriage, it took a long time before I would acknowledge and accept my wife's strong discernment and her interceding on my behalf, waiting for me to see what she saw. And for those of you men out there who are married, trust in your wife's discernment. They see it before you see it. And it will save you a lot of unnecessary pain. And when they start acting unusual, it may be time to check your vision to see if you see what they see. Looking at verse 31 through 38. Then the Lord opened his eyes, opened the eyes of Balaam and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If, you, if she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, speak only what I tell you to. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak, and when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by Arnon, and at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said, behold, I have come to you. 
have I now any power of my own to speak anything. The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. You see here, Balaam did indeed confess. But he confessed the sin only of beating his donkey. He did not confess or repent of the sin of disobeying God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There appears to be no real godly grief in what Balaam has said. In fact, what he says is, If it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. You see, Balaam never wanted to turn back. What more does Balaam need to hear? God was about to kill him. His donkey had to save him. But in his heart, he wanted to go with Balak. He wanted honor. He wanted reward. So God said, go, but speak only what I tell you. And when Balaam arrived, he told Balak, I can only speak what God tells me. I can only speak what God puts in my mouth. Balaam sounds like a changed man. But this is not the end of his story. You see, in chapters 23 and 24, Balak takes, Balak takes Balaam up to the high places three times. And he asks him to curse the people of God. But three times, Balaam only speaks blessings upon God's people. And instead of blessing them, instead of cursing them, Balaam just kept blessing them. Balak got mad. He was angry. Why have I even called you here? And he sent Balaam home without any reward at all and no honor. Surely this must be a new Balaam. In fact, in verse 24 and 2 in Numbers, it says this. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping, tri camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Is Balaam really a changed man? The Spirit of God came upon him. If he was so changed, then why would it say in Numbers 31 through 6, 8, that Moses sent to them into the war, them being the Israelites, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, with the vessels in the sanctuary and the trumpets in their hand, they warred against Midian as the Lord's commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain. Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam with the sword. Why would the Israelites have to kill Balaam when he had prophesied over them nothing but blessings? The answer lies in verses 13 through 16 in Numbers 31. Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and all the chiefs of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of a thousand, and the commanders of a hundred who had come from the service in the war. Moses said to them, have you let all the women live? Behold these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord. And the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord. 
You see, at the advice of Balaam, the Midianite women and the daughters of Moab had seduced the men of Israel and they committed sexual immorality and worshiped idols and brought a plague upon the people of Israel. You see, Balaam still could not resist the temptation of trying to help Balak so he could get paid. But this deception ultimately led to his destruction and his death. Balaam never really had a heart change. He lived a life of deception, greed, and motivated by a spirit of compromise and personal gain. He tried to outsmart God by not cursing the people directly, which sorrowfully led to his death by the sword by the very same people he had blessed. How can we tell a false prophet? Examine their teaching. Examine their motivation. Examine their fruits. Matthew 7, 15 and 17 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, are figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Many of us have experienced, have experienced with the spirit of Balaam in previous churches. We've witnessed the devastation, the brokenness that it resulted when people are hungry for money. And that's why Peter warns us to be stern about false teachers. That's why he asks us to call, out, call it out when we see it. We must examine our own motivations, check our own hearts. And when the tempter comes, remember what the word of God says. No temptation has over you, overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Slam the door on the enemy. Don't fall prey to the spirit of Balaam. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, unlike Balaam, did what the Father asked him because he and the Father were one, not because of any interior motive, but because of the love he has for us. He went to the cross for us without any thought of personal gain or honor. And now he even sits at the right hand of God, the Father, for us, and is interceding on our behalf, keeping us from dangers seen and unseen. Jesus, unlike Balaam, went to the cross in humility to die for, with the lowest kind of death, crucifixion between two thieves, spit upon by man, degraded by man. Unlike the false prophet Balaam, Jesus came to serve and not to be served. If you want to know if there's false teaching, examine the trail behind them. Is there life or is there devastation? You see, in the wake of the spirit of Balaam, there is destruction. But in the wake of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, there is life and life abundantly. Riverside, God has been good to this church. But let us be on guard against the spirit of Balaam in our church and in our homes. Balaam's way is very deceptive. Balaam's way is hidden. But we have to use our Holy Spirit discernment to know when it's not about God. You see, right now, we've got to examine our hearts and check our motivations and know that we are right with the Lord. If there's something in our hearts that's not of God, we need to give it to the Lord and say, God, please help me to be the man you've called me to be. Help me to be the woman you've called me to be. Remove that thing from me that is stopping me from loving you the way you love me. God wants to know that we love him unconditionally, just like he loves us. If there's things in our heart, we need to put it in check 
Get people around us that will hold us accountable. Get people around us that will love us through the pain that we willing to say, I'll take that beating, Dave, but I got to tell you the truth. I got to tell you there's something wrong with your walk. Somebody has to stand up and say, we're going to keep the church what it needs to be. Not allow the spirit of Balaam to walk through these doors. God has blessed us abundantly, and we want to keep it that way. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Amen.